This series on the spiritual disciplines is about giving us the tools to actually fundamentally be changed. We're embarking on the path of disciplined grace. Disciplined because there's a role for us to play. Grace because real inner change is always and only ever a free gift given to us by God. God could have created humans as immovable rocks, like blocks of granite. Instead, he gave us freedom, the capacity for moral, emotional, and spiritual transformation. We can become better people. The key is understanding how. Hey everyone, happy to be with you this morning. If we haven't met, my name is Raul, and I have my hair up today. Um, we'll see, oh, thank you, thanks. Um, we'll see how this sermon goes. If it goes great, I will keep the hair up, and if it goes terribly, then I will shave it. Um, so we will see what happens. Um, but if this is your first time here, welcome. Um, really happy that you're here. We've been in a series talking about the spiritual disciplines, and these are things that we do in response to what God has done for us. In doing them, we make room for the Spirit to change us. One of the things we believe is that um, change isn't something that we do on our own. It's something that the Spirit helps us to do. Um, these disciplines are like tools. They help us to grow in our relationship with Jesus, and they also help us to uh, be more like him and do what he did. And last week we talked about the discipline of celebration, and out of that came the BCPPCPXYZ. Um, and today we are going to talk about the discipline of confession. I know, you guys are all excited to hear about that, but it's going to be all right. Um, thankfully, you just get about 20 minutes with this. I've been preparing for this talk for about a month. I was supposed to give this talk last week, but then we switched the preaching program. Um, and so I've had to live with this for a whole month, and all you get is 20 minutes. It's not fair, um, but it'll be all right. Um, I know talking about confession isn't necessarily attractive, especially in L.A.'s culture that demands perfection, celebrates flawlessness, and promotes this upward success. But confession is actually good for us. It's something that stops us from being carried away in the current of self-deception. Confession helps to keep us grounded in reality. It helps us to be aware of who we really are, and Psalm 32, which we'll read in a second, is a witness to the power of confession. It's a, it's a witness to what God can do when we make room for this practice. And so here is Psalm 32. Um, we're just going to read the first five verses, but there are two parts to this psalm. The first part is kind of the message that the psalmist wants to give to us. It's the first two verses is the message, and then the next three verses are kind of the testimony. It's the psalmist's experience with this practice. And so this is Psalm 32, verse 1. The one whose wrongdoing is forgiven, whose sin is covered over, is truly happy. 
the one the Lord doesn't consider guilty, in whose spirit there is no dishonesty, that one is truly happy. Verse 3, this is the testimony bit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So that's Psalm 32. Um, But I grew up in L.A. I grew up skateboarding in the mid to late 2000s. Um, And as I was learning, I was terrified of being called a poser. And this is somebody who wasn't necessarily interested in the activity of skateboarding, but they wanted the appearance of it. And I spent much of my early years skating in private. I'd skate in my backyard. I'd skate uh, down random alleys because I didn't want people to see me because I was afraid of being called a poser. And so I was... um, I'd skate in private, away from public places, away from skate parks and um, other like plazas, because I was ashamed of the fact that I wasn't really that good. Um, And I think shame is something that can drive us into hiding. Shame of not being good enough is something that can drive us into hiding. And I think this sentiment is true for Christians as well. We can be posers of perfection, and, when we, and we can be driven into hiding when we feel that we're not good enough. Shame makes us hide from God. It makes us hide from ourselves, from one another. And shame makes hiding the default reaction. The more we hide, the more we learn to build lies that we think keep us safe. It's the case when breadwinners get fired from their jobs and still go to work to keep themselves from disappointing their families. Or when gamblers spend their paychecks on gambling or scratch-offs, then borrow money to hide their problem. And it's what professional Christians do when their faith is built on posing perfection. And what Psalm 32 does is it it tells us that when we stop hiding, we can actually become much more happy with our Christianity. When we're honest about where we are and what we do, faith becomes more fun. And here's what we've got to be honest about. St. Augustine says that we've inherited brokenness. It's something that we've involuntarily taken on because it has been passed on from generation to generation, dating back to Adam and Eve. And so not only did you inherit your parents' beautiful eyes and skill, but you also inherited this thing that St. Augustine calls original sin. It's this brokenness. And it means that we are imperfect, that we make mistakes, that we hurt others, that we're limited, and that we sin. But it's also true that the world is broken. Sin is like a virus that has corrupted all of creation. And so while we talk about confession, let's not 
Um, as it, while we talk about confession as it relates to personal sin, let's not be limited in thinking that sin is just something that we do on the personal level. It is also cosmic. It has infected all of creation. And when we're honest about this, we can move from the posing phase, from the hiding phase, to the happy phase. And in this testimony, the psalmist poses as if everything is perfect when it's really not. They pose as if everything is all right, but on the inside, they're crumbling. They're wasting away. And you can imagine, it's as if the person writing this seems to be doing well on the outside, but on the inside, they're wrestling with their actions. And this may sound familiar. Maybe we've been there before. But here the, psalm, here the psalmist reveals the inward symptoms of our posing, the inward symptoms of our hiding that stems from shame and guilt. And it's this, it's a restlessness beyond words. Verse 3 and 4 kind of capture the inner drama of our life when we sin. Emotionally, we're spent. Our thoughts turn on us. Our tendencies are to hide and be quiet. These are natural human responses to our sin. And spiritually, we distance ourselves from God. We question whether or not God is actually good. We doubt his presence with us. And we're uncertain about his love for us. And it's when we find ourselves here, I think the impulse is to ignore it. It's to keep quiet. It's to be silent about it. It's to pose as if everything is all right. And what we learn about keeping quiet and staying silent is that it will actually cripple us. We can feel like we're alone in our sin. We imagine that everyone else has advanced so far beyond us that we feel isolated in our sin and so we keep all the more silent. And it's actually spiritually crippling if we stay in this, if our tendency is to stay quiet and, and remain in this place of hiding. Um, but even if we do, I love what the psalmist says. Even if we stay in this, even if we decide, hey, this is where I'm going to make my camp, in this inner turmoil, even if we stay here, the psalmist speaks of God's heavy hand on them. And the image here is actually of someone turned away in shame and a gentle hand just resting on their shoulder. And what this is, it's the weight of God's presence. Often we feel that when we sin, when we mess up, when we make mistakes, we believe that God has abandoned us. We believe that we're not good enough. We believe that, that he's taken off. But actually, God's never left. And the heaviness that we can feel in those moments may actually be God's grace prompting us to return it may actually be him saying, hey, you've wandered. Why don't you come on back? He prompts us to return because he loves us. I mean, if we think back to Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, they 
they go into hiding. And in their hiding, God comes out and he says, hey, where are you guys? And what I love about this picture is that even in our, even in our hiding, even in our shame, even in our posing, God is still pursuing us. God is still coming after us. God is still looking for us, even when we've made a home in our hiding. And when we acknowledge all this, when we acknowledge that we're broken, when we acknowledge that our tendency is to hide, we read verse 5. And it can lead us to this response. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. It's almost as if the psalmist is saying, hey, this inner turmoil, this hiding, it's too much. It's too much to bear. And then, he, and then the psalmist is driven to, to say this. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And confession is really just naming where we are and what we've done. Confession is truth-telling. It's what one caller, it's what one scholar says, unguarded truth-telling. It's telling the truth about our sin and doing so with our guard down because we know who we're confessing to. And we can confess our sins to God not because we've overcome our struggles. Some struggles are for a lifetime. But we can confess not because we're self-righteous or because we've got our moral compass dialed in. We can confess our sins to God because he is ready and eager to forgive. And God doesn't need our confession. He already knows everything. It's us who need our confession. Because without it, we trick ourselves into thinking that we don't need forgiveness and all that it entails. Confession is ultimately about receiving forgiveness of sins. And we know God to be, when we know God to be eager and ready to forgive and set us free from the crippling effects of sin, then we can trust that whatever we confess to him won't change how much he loves us. When we know God to be full of love, full of grace, full of compassion, then we can run to him, confess whatever's on our mind, whatever's on our heart, and know that no, no deed, no thing that we confess will separate us from his love. But the thing we do is we tend to just stop at confession. We work up the courage to get, con to get to confession, and then we rarely move past it. And I think it's because we've been conditioned to believe that confession is enough. But actually, it's just half of it. And have you ever done just half of something? I, I imagine, as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, what if, what if I just did half of marriage? What if I got married, went on my honeymoon to Iceland and then got back and was like, hey, actually, um, I don't really want to move in. Um, I think I'm just good. I think I'm good here. Or maybe you've done this before. Maybe you've gone into a coffee shop, ordered your favorite drink. Mine is a flat white with cow's milk. Don't judge me. 
I'm probably one of three people in LA that still drink whole milk. Um, Imagine walking into a coffee shop, ordering your coffee, paying for it, paying the $7 that it costs, and then walking out. Doing half of something, but not the full thing. It's confessing, but not receiving forgiveness. And when we confess, we need the other half. We need the forgiveness half. In verse 5, it says this, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The result of confession is forgiveness, but notice how immediate it is. Following the psalmist's confession is immediate forgiveness. There is no delay. It doesn't take three to five days to show up in your bank account like Venmo. It's not delayed. It doesn't take time. It's immediate because what Jesus did on the cross is he made forgiveness available once and for all. It's free. We don't need to work up this guilt trip. We don't need to write a list of all the things we've done wrong, all the things we're sorry for, and read it off to the sky. We can come just as we are with simple words and say, God, this is what's going on. And God will say, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. We don't need to earn forgiveness because it's a gift. And sin is often described as a weight, this thing that keeps us from moving freely. If you've ever gone backpacking, if you've ever carried something heavy on your back, then you know how restricted you are. Um, I've gone backpacking plenty of times, and every time I've got my pack on, I, I pray that I don't see a bear. Because trying to run from a bear with a 40-pound pack on your back is impossible. You might as well just crawl and let the bear catch up to you. But sin is like a weight. It restricts us. It, it, it hinders our movement. It restricts our flourishing. And the Hebrew word here for forgave is nasah. Can you all say that? Nasah? Nasah. And it literally means to lift, to carry. And what God does in forgiving us is he lifts the burden that we could never carry. He lifts the burden. He lifts the guilt. He lifts the shame. He lifts the posing and all of its crippling effects. And so we can receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And once we hand our sin over to God, once we say, God, here it is, I'm open, I'm honest, God takes your sin and he moves it as far away from us as we can imagine. He takes it, he hides it, he forgets about it, this is the goodness of the gospel. And confessing and truth-telling is actually different in the kingdom. It's different in the kingdom than anywhere else. And while there are positive effects for our mental and emotional health, of, you know, for telling the truth um, and being honest, there, we believe that in the spiritual, that confession is so much more. 
that in confession we are released from sin and we, and we receive the freedom of forgiveness. And in Psalm 32, we're shown that we don't have to stay in the ongoing drama of our inner turmoil when we sin. Jesus sets us free. We don't have to stay in this constant, um, in this constant cycle of beating ourselves up, of, of telling ourselves that we're not good enough, because Jesus can set us free. And so do we want to be set free from the nagging of shame and guilt? Do we want to be released into the freedom of knowing ourselves to be loved, knowing ourselves to be forgiven? Do we want the burden of sin carried off us? And if we do, then let us make a practice of confessing and receiving. And I'm speaking to myself here. Because I can be pretty hard on myself when I feel I've messed up. And I'm trying to unlearn the lie that church leaders aren't allowed to struggle. Because growing up, I grew up partially in and out of church, and um, I grew up with this uh, belief in my background. Um, And maybe you feel like you're not allowed to struggle because of this or that. Um, And you're not alone. And I've learned that it doesn't benefit me to hold out on confession. It doesn't benefit me to let time go by. Because the more I hold out on confession, the further I actually feel from God. When I confess, it's not about how good I am. It's not about how experienced I am in in Christianity. It's about how true the forgiveness of Jesus is. And I confess not because I'm a good Christian, but I confess because I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he's the one who forgives sins. That he's the one who carries our burdens. That he's the one who makes us new. And when I practice this, I often feel like Jesus enters a room. Because when we keep quiet, when we keep silent, when we hold off on confession, it's like locking ourselves in a dark room. It's closing the curtains, it's deadbolting the door, but what we do when we confess, it's opening the blinds, unlocking the door, allowing Jesus to step in. And so we can admit that we struggle, but that shouldn't determine whether or not we allow ourselves to receive forgiveness. I know for various reasons we may find it difficult to receive anything from God. Dr. Ryan calls this spiritual anorexia. It's when we find it difficult for us to be spiritually nourished. We resist receiving anything from God, maybe because of how we were raised to think about him, that he's unsafe, that he's really just interested in our performance. Or maybe we've had some pain around Christianity and and faith. Maybe we've been spiritually taken advantage of and we're afraid to be vulnerable with God. Or maybe we've been spiritual leaders and haven't given ourselves permission to receive 
But if you've ever gone hungry, it's a tiny fraction of what it may feel like for those who are malnourished. Anorexia depletes people of all their energy. They can hallucinate, they can imagine things that aren't real as if they were. Physically, we, physically it may not even look like they're anorexic because it can be hidden. And ultimately what happens is the body actually begins to eat itself. And someone with this problem can live in a world full of food and still starve to death. And I don't think it's that much different for any of us who are facing a spiritual anorexia. Because we can live with a God who is full of love, full of grace, who is ready to nourish us and still be spiritually starving. And if this is the case for any of us, God is more than enough to meet every spiritual need of yours. He won't force himself on you, but he invites you to be nourished by him, to receive him, to know that he's sufficient for you. Others of us, we may be so overwhelmed by guilt or shame, and we need someone to confess to so that we can hear them declare that we're actually forgiven. We always pray for people here at the front, um, and we never ask any probing questions. We don't dig for dark secrets. We don't, we don't pry. Um, we simply just add our prayers to yours. And um, one time when I was, uh, when we were praying here at the front, someone confessed to me something that they were really exhausted by. And I didn't ask for it. They just simply felt safe enough to share. And so I let them and I prayed for them. And after I had prayed for them, someone else came um, and started praying for them. And the thing that they prayed was a simple prayer. They simply prayed, Jesus says your sins are forgiven. And I'm telling you, the response of this person, it's as if they were literally set free. Their arms shot up, big smile on their face. Um, and it's like a breath of fresh air just took over them. And this is what happens when we are forgiven. This is what happens when we confess and receive forgiveness. It's what the letter of it's what James talks about in his letter when we confess to one another and receive prayer, we're forgiven, we're set free, and we're healed. And James chapter 5 says this. This is the First Nations version. Um, it says this. It says, He will forgive and set free any who have been following their bad hearts and broken ways. So admit your broken ways to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of one in good standing with Creator is powerful and good medicine. And notice, what it, notice what it says after the confessor admits. James says, pray for each other. He says, pray for each other. He doesn't say gossip. He doesn't say post on Instagram. He doesn't say get a thread going with your friends. He doesn't say kick them out of the church. He doesn't say treat them unfairly. The goal of all confession, whether it's confessing to God or confessing to one another, 
is healing. It's nourishment. And what we find in confession is that God actually wants to heal our souls. He wants to nourish us with forgiveness. And confession helps us to see that. Confession is the first step to becoming truly happy. Because in confession, we receive forgiveness. And we can be let go of the pressure to pose. We can be let go of the pressure to have to put a smile on, to have to fake it, to have to hide. And so in confession, we enter happiness. And so let us enter the happiness and freedom of Jesus, because the quicker we are to confess, the quicker we enter his happiness and forgiveness. And Jesus says to us, you no longer have to pose, you no longer have to stay with that inner turmoil, that inner drama. Jesus has come and received the forgiveness of sins. And so with that, we're going to end, we're going to sing a song, and then we'll take communion. Uh, If I can have the band come up.